Hello and welcome to episode 219 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fan's weekly podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and today we're ringing in the new year with what's sure to be a topic that is of interest to our audience. We're going to talk about the PlayStation and rank RPGs within the PlayStation. Uh, the last time we did an episode like this was for the Super Nintendo over a year and a half ago, and uh, that had a pretty good reception, so I think I think that we're going to do well this time as well. Uh but this um, podcast episode technically wasn't my idea. Uh, let's tell him about it. Zach Wilkerson. Hey there. thought that it would be awesome to kind of have a sequel episode to the Super Nintendo one. Um, it was one of my favorites, so I thought this would be a good idea. Right, and uh, you put that suggestion into our sort of big ideas board, and when the 25th, 25th anniversary of the PlayStation landed um, last month, uh, we had the idea, hey, maybe it's time for the for that um PS1 ranking episode we've had sitting around for a while. But uh, joining Zach and I are Alana Hayes. Hello, everyone. And Audra Bowling. Hello. So, listeners, if you have qualms or dislikes about our list of PS1 rankings, now you know exactly who to complain to. <laughs> because uh, this list is a compilation of uh, four lists that each of us submitted. We use a pretty simple point ranking system to compile a top ten. So this isn't a, a case of there weren't any write-ins, there's no editorial from me or the other mic or anything. This is each of the four of us making a ranking and then combining those rankings into a top ten. Uh, listeners, there we aren't exactly playing hard and fast with what counts or doesn't count as a PlayStation release. Uh, for example, um, Chrono Trigger is not on the list. Chrono Trigger was, a, was on uh, our SNES list uh, over a year ago, even though it was released as a PlayStation game. I think that's because the four of us sort of think of Chrono Trigger as a Super Nintendo game, so right, it's, it's yeah. not on the PlayStation list. However, there's at least one game on the list that began life as a Sega CD game. <laughs> uh, you, you, you can probably figure out which one that is. I'll leave it to your imaginations. But uh, I mean, how many people had a Sega CD? Like seriously, that, that's the first fair point. And the second fair point <laughs> is, I think um, the all of us that put those former Sega CD game or games on these lists sort of identify with the PlayStation version as it as yeah. it, it being as it being a PlayStation game and not necessarily a Sega CD game. So yeah. we're also the definitive version as well. So I mean, I think the, the yeah. best version. I, I think I think so too. Even though I did get into a Twitter argument with someone when I mentioned when I mentioned when I dared tweet that uh, yeah. when I when I was playing that game uh, two summers ago. <laughs> Spoiler alert, maybe uh, for a pod, for a podcast that's 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 you're going to find out the solution in in an hour anyway. Uh, so we're not exactly playing hard and fast rules with what counts or doesn't count as a PlayStation game. As long as it did release on the PlayStation, you were allowed to vote for it. And this is how our our four panelist vote shook out. So this is a top 10 PlayStation games list, but it's actually secretly a top 14. Because I asked each of us to um, discuss an honorable mention game. A four-way tie for 11th, if you would. For games that we may- maybe thought should have made it on the list or could have made it on the list but didn't because we didn't uh, share that those thoughts with the other panelists. Um, Audra, what did you pick as your honorable mention? Legend of Ligaya. All right. Which I love the battle system for... I mean, the story isn't the greatest, but <laughs> the battle system is definitely fun. So, 
So maybe not uh, worth a spot in the top ten, but worth a shout-out at least. I've never played Legend yes. of Lagaya. It's pretty fun. It's um, You like fighting games, so... I do. It's kind of the combo. Mm-hmm. They use combo fighting for yeah. it. Yeah, I don't remember anything about the story at all. Not not a lick. But I do remember that the combat was pretty cool. Yeah. It's hmm. pretty much the, the saving grace of it, I think. Is that available in any modern... Uh, uh, any modern service, or would I have to dig around for a rare PlayStation copy of it? I think you want to dig around. Mm, I don't think yeah. it's on yeah, PSN. I, I don't think it's on PSN. Bummer. Well, okay, Legend of Lagaya. It, it's uh, it, part of our four-way tie for 11th. Um, Zach, what's your honorable mention pick? Mine is Chrono Cross, um, which I actually ranked pretty high myself. Um, I know that it's a controversial uh, title, but man, that soundtrack... Uh, I mean, <laughs> oh my. Um, still my favorite video game soundtrack. If nothing else, it would be on this list because that Mitsuda soundtrack is just incredible. Um, but I, I actually think that it's a pretty good sequel to Chrono Trigger. I like the, the story beats that it takes. I, I think that the combat is pretty interesting. I love sort of the world that you're placed in, the, the tropical elements of it. And I, um, you know, I, I still have to watch a video every time I play the game to kind of remind myself what the heck's really going on. But I'm okay with that. I still like it. Three of us put Chrono Cross on our lists, but um, it was in the sort of back half of the list for all three of people that ranked it. So it, uh, it it didn't score enough points to quite crack the top ten. But it's I mean it's a a, a beautiful game both visually and uh, and musically, and um, did a lot of really cool things. Uh, I, I was sort of upset with it in two thousand two thousand one when I tried to <laughs> when I tried to play it because because I. Uh, because I didn't like how different it was from Chrono Trigger, but when I actually got around to playing it through to the end as an adult, I liked it much better. And and it's uh, that that Mitsuda soundtrack is undeniable. Uh huh. So uh, I think I'll go next. Um, for my uh, honorable mention game, I chose Dragon Quest Seven, which I knew as Dragon Warrior Seven when I first got it on the PlayStation. Uh, I never finished this game on the PlayStation. I ended up beating the 3DS version many, many years later. But uh, as a Dragon Quest game for that time, it's it's good Dragon Quest, but it's also the most Dragon Quest because <laughs> that game is 110 hours if you play through play it through yeah. to the end. Just insane. Yeah, and it's but but it's good. Like I think that the. Uh, the story it tells is pretty interesting, and the further you get in, the sort of more interconnected all the different vignettes you're playing are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and and I mean, there's literally a fitting puzzle pieces together motif in the game, and that works on sort of a uh, both on the like moment to moment scale and sort of the big picture scale. It's I think it's one of the better Dragon Quest stories, and uh, I adored it when I played it on the 3DS. And on the on the PS1, I was playing it in the early 2000s, and I got waylaid. I think I started. I think I stopped playing it right when I started college. Um, but it's it's slow moving, but very very good. I, I don't. Maybe it shouldn't be someone's first Dragon Quest game because you got to get used to that pace. <laughs> no. before, yeah, you got to get used to that pace before you try seven. But it's a very very good one, and um, I recommend yeah. it. I, I I put it on my list, but I was the only person that did. So it, honorable mention is exactly the exactly the time and place to yeah. shout out Dragon Quest Seven. I, I mean, when we uh, did the uh, which Dragon Quest is Dragon Best, I think that I put it in my <laughs> top three or four. Uh, it, it's actually one of my favorites in, in the series. But I, I like you, I didn't finish it on the PlayStation because that those opening hours were such a drag. 
Yeah, and I, and I just couldn't get through it, uh, and so that's why I didn't put it on the list for me personally. But if this is a 3DS list, oh yeah, yeah. If it, um, if I were to rank all my favorite Dragon Quest games, and I have, uh, <laughs> I, I, th- I think it finishes around <laughs> around fourth or fifth for me. It's like, like I love Dragon Quest. It's one of my favorite RPG series mm-hmm. ever, and this is a really, really good one of those. But uh, it, Dragon Quest isn't for everyone, and it, as such, it didn't rate. I haven't played it, so I can't comment. Yay. It ha- it either. It, it 3DS happens. 1 is real, real good. I have yeah. all the 3DS Dragon Quest, so someday. Someday. That, that, that's a good way to play it. And um, they, mm-hmm. they changed the class system for in, in it, uh, probably for the better. Uh, it basically makes it less breakable, but also faster moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, good. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, the 3DS version of Dragon Quest 7 is great. The PS1 version of Dragon Warrior 7, also great, but super long. Uh, but Alana, uh, what's your pick for honorable mention? Um, so I guess this sort of falls into the um, remit of was originally released on another console because I picked Grandia, which was originally a Sega Saturn game over That's right, in Japan. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I think Grandia falls into a special category for me of games that make you feel like an adventurer. Like it's got such oh, yeah. a youthful and fun spirit that mm-hmm. it was really infectious. I played Grandia 2 before Grandia, so I was not expecting it to be quite as delightful <laughs> and fun as it was because Grandia 2 is very much the opposite. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. it was really fun. Is a bit of a. It's pretty short. I think it's about thirty-five hours. But like the dungeons in it are pretty terrible. Yeah. And I think that's the reason. I, I ranked it quite high on my personal list. But to be honest, anything after the top four was kind of a free for all for me. Like I've got really fond memories of playing Grandia four or five years ago for the first time. Um, combat is obviously outstanding. Like that's the first time we got to see Grandia's combat and they only improved on it in later games mm-hmm. I just think it's a really solid game that makes you feel like a real adventurer and I don't think there's many games that make you feel like that like there's no like we must save the world I mean you do eventually obviously but like this is <laughs> kind of just like oh, I want to be like my dad and find treasure and go and find undiscovered ruins and things like that like it's just super wholesome i think mm-hmm. that's why it sticks with me so yeah, well yeah justin didn't have world save threatening stakes or even home threatening stakes thrust upon him early on right he just, he just no. wanted to be an adventurer from the beginning and that there's something very appealing of, about that uh it, like, like grandia is a really optimistic game um, oh yeah and and i i really loved it the first time i played it uh unlike alana I was able to figure out my top seven or eight pretty easily. Let's say top eight. And I just had a hell of a time figuring out what to put my, as for my final two spots. <laughs> I, uh, and, and it ended up not really mattering because the games I voted for at the, at the end of my list, uh, I don't like, didn't get to make the top 10, but it was, it, this was a bit of a challenging list. Cause even though, um, like none of us have played all the PlayStation RPGs, uh, I was slightly shocked to hear before recording that one person among us has not played any Tales games before. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> How could you? How could you? <laughs> but the uh, but like the library for the PlayStation is pretty damn strong, and uh, and and we did have to start picking nits and like and break some ties to get down to a top ten. But uh, I think. Uh, that's enough of a preamble. Are, are we ready to talk to count down the top ten PlayStation RPGs? Absolutely. Yep. Oh yeah. Okay. Now, Alana, I'm going to you first on this one uh, for uh, because uh, Retro Encounters uh, number ten best PlayStation RPG is Tales of Eternia. I'm so happy this made the list. I'm so delighted. 
Tales of Eternia is one of the best Tales of games and easily the best pre-Symphonia one, I would say, personally. Hmm, okay. Uh, hmm. <laughs> Maybe Tide. It depends. Like, it depends what day you ask me. Sometimes it's Fantasia, sometimes it's Eternia. So. There was only uh, four Tales games before Symphonia, I think. Yeah, um, the, those I know. two, those that two, was, yeah, yeah, those two plus Destiny one and two. But um, Eter- you were definitely right in that Eternity is a really, really good one. Uh, it, it w- I think it was the first one that really, I really felt like I was making combos because, um, like, yeah, the, Reed and Farah can really juggle and then time with uh, with ma- magic attacks. While with Kless and uh, and Stan, really, you're just sort of playing keep away and and just sort of keeping the enemy at bay while the rest of your party attacks. But this game had had bigger combos and and uh and, and you just felt way more agile and powerful uh as the, one of the melee characters than you did in previous tales games well yeah this was like a relatively not late late ps1 game i think it was 2000 um mm-hmm. so they'd kind of had the type like the snes had restrictive um hardware anyway so you couldn't really do proper term, like action combat and Destiny is a little bit messy, <laughs> so yes, <laughs> Eternia really is where they nail it. Like the sprite work is gorgeous. I think the whole game just really comes together, and it's it's kind of another one of those games that is quite optimistic. Like there is a save the world plot, but this time you've got a really cute cast of characters. Like the central four are really fun. They they're, all they're gel great. together I lo- really well. I love the main um, four of them, and then when you add uh, <laughs> when you add Chad and Max, they're they're, they're a little bit extra. <laughs> they're, they're a little bit extra. But like, but at least they're fun. Even though it's really about the core four, I think. Yeah, and it's got a, su- a really interesting take on the like um, Tales of series is known for reusing like different themes. So you have the two worlds <laughs> theory in this yeah. one, but it's a really nice take on it as well because they can directly look at each other and see each other from uh, by looking at, um, through telescopes. So you can see Eternia and Celestia from each other um from the other planet which i think is really cool i mean Um, i mean symphonia really is averaging tales of eternia and tales of fantasia together um pretty much with the uh with the environmental theme and the uh and the two worlds theme but yeah eternia was by far the best playing tales of game until you got to uh until symphonia a few years a few years later and has just really good core ideas and main cast and i this is a horrible of me, and and uh, I was a I was a ter- awful teenager, and none of you should ever do this. Um, I played through Tales of Eternia, um, up to the second disc, and then uh, but it turns out my my disc two was scratched, and oh, I, I I couldn't I couldn't go forward, so I went to a um to a retro gaming store and traded it in, and they only tested the first disc. Oh no! This is, I oh, was no. I was a horrible teenager. I was I was I was sixteen or seventeen. You should not do that. I ended up I, I ended up importing a uh, the your a UK PSP copy. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, actually no, I li- I lied. I didn't import it. I just bought it at a shop in the in a at a it was at a it was at a game in uh, in in London, I think. And uh, when I when I was <laughs> when I was visiting my sister studying abroad in the UK, um, it makes it, me feel any better. I um. Did the exact same thing with the game that is later on this list that is oh. was very 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 valuable at the time. So oh, no. I was also sixteen oh, no. or seventeen. So I, 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 have, I, 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 have, I have some idea which which game it is. But, yeah. but anyway, so yeah, I ended up I ended, in twenty ten or twenty eleven. Whenever I went to the to England, I forget when. Um, I, is when I uh, finally beat Tales of Eternia on a PSP copy, because yeah, my disc two was scratched, and this is a three disc game. 
Yeah, you, you need that to continue. I was able to load. I was able to save, do the end game save, but then it wouldn't let me. Uh, it would freeze on the very first screen of disc two. So I'm pretty sure it was just a damaged disc two. Yeah, probably. I actually played it on the PSP because that's the only way we got it. But oh, that's true. Like, yeah. You can tell it's a PS one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this was called Tales of Destiny two in the US. We should also it add. was not yes. Tales of Eternia <laughs> because of um, because of He Man. Uh, supposedly, yeah, um, so. yeah. Mattel had a uh, had a copyright on the word Eternia because that's the name of this. That's the setting of the He Man universe. <laughs> I, I, I guess they were still doing He Man things in two thousand. I know there. I know there was a He Man oh. cartoon in the two thousands. Yeah, I oh, yeah. think maybe there was. For for similar reasons, Dragon Quest had to be Dragon Warrior for decades in the U.S. because there was a uh, there was a tabletop RPG called Dragon or or uh, something or a pen and paper RPG called Dragon Quest. Um, and and they it wasn't until that lapsed in the, uh, the early two thousands that Dragon Quest became Dragon uh, sorry Dragon Warrior became Dragon Quest in North America. But uh, okay, enough about um, about copyright claims. Uh, Tales, Tales of Eternia, very strong number ten on our list. Alana and I were the only two people that voted for it, but we hold it in high enough esteem that it was able to crack the uh, uh, crack the top ten. And a uh, similar deal, um, two people voted for the game that finished uh, ninth on our list, and it was the two people besides Alana and I. Um, Zach, uh, let's talk about Suikoden One. I'm always down to talk about Suikoden. Um, it, it, it's certainly not as good as its sequel, which may come up later in this in this podcast. But um, no, it, it, <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, but it, it does so many things right early on um, it, it, in terms of a PS1 RPG. I mean, it's like I think it's one of the very first ones that was released on the PS1. Um, so you know, the 2D sprite-based graphics. It's very early. And, it was 95 or 96, so yeah. def- definitely an early. Yeah. One. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that the way in which um, it deals with its story and its conflict uh, becomes sort of the template for the rest of what Suikoden is in terms of um, you know conflict and people people on both sides of the conflict having a point, having a reason why they're doing what they're doing, and uh, the characters are really strong. And I like the and, and the combat is so snappy. It's one of the best things about Suikoden. It's like you can go into those fights and they just like kind of roll through really quickly. Um, again, it's not nearly as good as some other ones in the series but I still think it's an excellent game. Yeah. I ended up playing it really right after, or right before Suikoden 4, actually, <laughs> because I was curious about Ted, and it was pretty oh, good. yeah. Yeah. Suikoden 1, much better than Suikoden 4. 4 takes place before Suikoden 1? Yes, it takes place. Yeah. It's the first one in the chronology, and then Suikoden 5, then 1, then 2, then 3. Okay, so th- th- that's that's you know, as a Street Fighter fan, this is not confusing to me. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, th- those games are the order of them is one zero two four five three. But anyway, back to back to Suikoden. Um, uh, so okay, so th- so Suikoden four has characters and po- pro- probably storylines tying into Suikoden one, and I know that stuff from Suikoden one ties into Suikoden two, uh, oh, yeah. not an insignificant Very amount not. of things. But Very much so. Um, this also isn't a very long RPG. I th- oh, for sure. I think you can even yeah. recruit every Star of Destiny in maybe 15 hours if you know what okay. you're doing. Okay, there's one action RPG that might be shorter than, but uh, uh, in our list of 10. But um, So this one is doesn't waste a lot of time, um, ties into a much larger story, and if the uh, Marvel uni- Cinematic Universe has taught us one thing, people that it's that people love tie-ins and crossovers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it does make a real difference, actually. Like, no, it, it I, does. When we, yeah, because I played Swigget and One before 
two last year. Um, <laughs> but in 2018, um, I played Suikoden 1 before Suikoden 2 because Leona is another big Suikoden fan on the website and she was very insistent that someone should do it. And I was like, you know what, me, because I've never played a Suikoden game. I've never touched mm-hmm. one. I was really surprised at how coherent, how simple, and how like how well it worked. Everything just clicked into yeah. place. And I thought for 1995, this was really intelligent and really just easy to follow and but it all and then when you play two afterwards like the payoff really really oh, for sure really yeah, works like, yeah mm-hmm. i mean i almost yeah. think of them as like you know almost the same game i mean i know that Suikoden two obviously is an improvement on one in basically every way but that just like the two stories and the characters so many characters that are shared between the two of them they seem interlocked mm-hmm. um to me i mean it's only one a three-year difference i think between one and th- two so um it makes sense you actually spend some time in two and the area ends in one and um, and in some ways, I actually think the story in one um, is almost as good because it doesn't have um, this like monster character um, that they have. <laughs> we can do obviously, um, and, it, and it, it's always <laughs> about real. It's always about real people, um, and I kind of like that about Sweden in one. And I find myself revisiting it almost as much as two. I, I'm amused by the monster characters in two, but I didn't ever use them uh, except unless the White Wolf counts. No, I meant like the the villain, oh, Luca. <laughs> Luca oh, oh, oh! I'm, I'm sorry. I thought you meant recruiting monsters. <laughs> yeah, like, no, no. Like, I, th- I think like, you can like, recruit monsters. You can recruit monsters. Okay. It does have a favorite vampire as well. Oh yes. Oh, oh excellent. Um, but anyway, un- unlike <laughs> Alana, I went straight into Suikoden Two without playing Suikoden One because I was pressed for time when we were recording that podcast. Playing Suikoden Two made me more intrigued in One than ever, and I ha- and I do have a copy of it, so I uh, it, it is something I might get into yet later. But alas, not in time for this podcast. I didn't, I hadn't played it, so I never voted for it. But I think it's time to move on to the next game on our list. Finishing eighth in Retro Encounters' list of top ten PlayStation RPGs is Lunar: The Silver Star or Lunar: Silver Star Story Complete, which is the PSP, which is the PlayStation One version. I played Lunar for the first time in college when I was getting as many good PlayStation RPGs as I could on eBay, so mid-2000s, and I was aware of the reputation of Lunar 1 and 2 at the time, but when I finally got to them, oh boy, I loved them. Uh, Both of the Lunar games are excellent, and Lunar the the Silver Star is... (laughs) I, I, I can't help but think of how romantic this game is, because really, it's at its core, it's a love story... And the six main characters all all split off into romantic pairs. I I think that Lunar the Silver Star is a very, uh, <laughs> like direct to the point anime style RPG. Yeah, uh, Zach, I it was sure yeah, Zach, it was number two on your list overall. So so, how, what are your feelings about this game? I, I mean, I I adore this game. Um, I I've only played it like twice, and I haven't played it in years because I don't want to in any way like remove the luster from how much I've loved this game. Um, <laughs> I'm just always afraid of that a little bit with a, an older game like this. But the characters are excellent, um, and, and I think that you know it, it. It we were talking about this with Grandia, and it makes sense because same developer. But there's like a level of wholesomeness to it. Um, but because it focuses so much on these characters and their struggles and who they are, um, I, I just think it's it's totally delightful. Um, I, 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 lo- I love the changes they made in the PlayStation version. I've played the Sega CD one. This is definitely the better version of this uh, of this game. 
The Sega CD and, version does not have the boat song. It completely um, invalidates that version to me. Then the boat song is like the best scene yeah. in the game. <laughs> there, there are some things uh, in terms of like character motivations, especially with Galleon, that they change in the sec- or that they change in the PlayStation version that I think sort of diminish him a little bit. But you know, um, it's definitely the superior version. And um, if I was making a top five RPGs of all time list, it would be on that list as well. Um, I, I just I, I adore wow. this game. Now, Alana, I'm sorry, but uh, I don't think this game's ever come out in Europe, unless the PSP version was localized over there? Uh, it was, yeah, that's the oh, only okay, way we can okay. play it, but we do not get the sequel. Oh, so... that's a shame. Do, do they have the yes. mobile version on... Because there's a mobile version of Stil- Silver Star Story Complete uh, available over here. I that, don't think so. I'm going to check after the podcast. But Rob Fenner yeah. told me about that version. It um it it does exist, but it's it's messy. Uh, mm-hmm. There's That's what I've like, heard. Oh. and uh, and like things like enemy respawns will sort of be restored uh, at unpredictable oh, yeah. times. So so making the games grind, which is already a, you know a healthy medium, into uh, much more intense. Right. Uh, but but yeah. regardless, it's a very very sweet RPG. Really likable characters. The story's a little simple, but uh, but definitely powerful. The dialogue was great. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I know people give working designs a hard time sometimes, but actually, outside of the pop culture references, I think that they do an excellent job with the yeah. The thing the thing is, I I, I do give yeah. them a hard time sometimes. But also for a while, the uh, they were the only group that was filling out this niche. Of right. uh, of um uh, of right. the, the, this kind of game that a lot of people were interested in, and they were the, really the only group that was doing them, um except for you know some in-house studios at, at like like Konami making Suikoden and Namco localizing Tales are counterexamples to that. But uh, Working Designs was going after games that were just not finding North American publishers, yeah. so you got you have to respect that hustle. Although I do think they went overboard with uh with some of the um with some of the pop culture references and other yeah. parts of the dialogue. But it, but it's a it, it's a uh, a well-written fun game in terms of its writing. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh that might not be the last lunar discussion we have on this podcast. Just like <laughs> just like uh Sweet and One wasn't the last Sweet discussion that we'll have. Uh next we're going to go into something that is uh another Konami entry on this list. Uh Alana Castlevania Symphony of the Night is maybe the best game in the whole series and one of the best games in the PlayStation. Oh, geez, yeah, it's superb. And I'm amazed that it still holds up to this day. I mean, it's basically the template for hundreds of... I mean, a couple of, obviously, every Castlevania game that followed it, but also hundreds of indie games. Like, hundreds of them. Like, this is Konami... Uh, Igarashi and a bunch of people at uh, that studio going, this is what we're going to do, we're going to make it, this is make or break for this series, and they did it, and it was perfect. And, like, Symphony of the Night is hammy as hell, but, you know, we, we, we've not mentioned any terrible voice acting yet. We've mentioned a lot of games with terrible voice acting. Mm-hmm. Symphony of the Night might top that, I think, Oh, man, in terms for, the, of for, the, for the whole list, um, I'm, I mean, looking down the line here... Um... I mean, Tales of Eternia has some pretty has some pretty bad voice acting in it. Uh, uh, Grandia, anyone? Yeah, Grandia. Grandia, yeah, Grandia is pretty Hold bad. Um, yeah. I don't think there's any voice acting in uh, in Dragon Warrior Seven or Chrono Cross, but it, it's it, like this. Like the PlayStation was sort of the advent of large scale voice acting. Like it was, the, these were the first games that had 
a lot of voice acting in them. Like I, I, I mean, you know, like fighting games in the on the Super Nintendo had voice acting, but not a, but not a full script worth of a story that's that's mostly voice acted. So the, a lot of the fledgling voice acting performances on the PlayStation are pretty bad. Uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite PlayStation. They're vid- iconic, though. Yeah, one of my favorite PlayStation games is Mega Man is Mega Man X Four, and oh boy, every single oh, word, every God, single yes. word in that game is just the worst. I, I love the voice it's acting incredible. in Lunar, though. Yeah, in, a, in in Lunar, it's sort of hammy, but I think it's a, yeah. I, I think it's better than Symphony of the Night. Endearing. Oh, yes, yeah, for but sure. but like even the way Alucard says, "I'm interested in this." Just just I I, I love even the, like normal lines seem stilted and weird, and uh and I love it. But uh like Alana alluded to, this game was half of what spawned a genre like the uh, the nonlinear two D. Act, um, act, exploratory action genre that Metroid started over uh, a decade earlier sort of got pulled into more of an RPG space in S- Symphony of the Night, which added a leveling system and multi- and sort of different tiers of skills and like like different ways of uh, of accomplishing actions other than just shooting because Alucard has transformations and spells and a hundred weapons and uh, and and a bunch of stuff that isn't just an arm cannon. The the cat the Metrovania genre is really the uh, the I think the two D action ideas from Metroid with the RPG elements of Castlevania Symphony of the Night and Castlevania games going forward and without the without those two halves we wouldn't have you know Time Spinner which is a game that everyone should play that game's amazing and uh, and uh, or anything yeah, yeah it, it it and this darling fan favorite genre was like sparked by symphony of the night and on its own symphony of the night is still awesome uh, i i played it in mid 2018 for a podcast episode with you alana and it totally held up it was a total delight to play yeah. that game over a couple days in uh, last spring yeah I, mean, I just played it about a month yeah, ago it's, on so, a yeah, it's so breezy you can be it in eight to ten hours easily on a first go and then every time afterwards it's just you you shave a little bit off but um yeah, like just the amount of customization that you have. The castle map is really excellent, and I think mm-hmm. it's taken a long time for it to be bettered or even equaled. I know that everybody knows about the reverse castle thing, but that blew my mind as a kid. Oh, yeah. I still think it's really cool, and I love how the castle is specifically designed to work in that upside-down format as well. I think that's really clever. Um, yeah, yeah, they, they and did. And the sprite work really holds up. Uh, it, yeah. it's a really, a really clever twist and it felt like a fair way to the extent to, to extend the game because there's so much to do in the second castle. Mm-hmm. Ah, Symphony mm-hmm. Night's great. I should, yeah, right. I should, maybe I should replay that in 2020. Like, like just take Halloween <laughs> off from work and spend the whole day playing Symphony of the Night. You could do. It's, it's also one of the best Michiru Yamane sound, soundtracks. It's a really, really good. Oh, that soundtrack. Oh, Ooh. easily. Yeah. yeah. So great. good. good. <laughs> But okay, we're starting to run, to run out of things to talk about about uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. It is seventh on Retro Encounters' list of the top ten PlayStation games. So, what's sixth? It's ironically a seven. Final Fantasy VII is our number six game on our list of PlayStation RPGs. Now, Final Fantasy VII was not divisive at the time. It, it was uh, it blew people's minds in 1997. But I think in the intervening 22 years. Some people love it just as much as they did uh, in the 90s, and uh, some fans have cooled off on it. I think it's it started out being an overwhelming favorite, and now it's a little more divisive, which is probably why it's not in our top five. 
But I, I mean, I still think it's excellent. I, I, uh, I was blown away by FF7 when I first played it in the 90s. And it going, was my first RPG. I love it. Yeah, I think that, and a lot of the ideas in it definitely hold up, even if those, uh, those, uh, those smooth polygon graphics don't. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> the Lego people don't work. I mean that only the only character that should look like Popeye the Sailor Man is Popeye the Sailor Man, not everyone. <laughs> um, Very true. But. Uh, I, I still think the characters are great. I love that it's uh, that they made the enemy um, corporate instead of a vague evil empire. Uh, a, a lot of the designs are like seem sort of twisted and alien compared to uh-huh. compared to older Final Fantasy games. Like there's no Final Fantasy boss pre seven that looks like Genova or one of the weapons. And it's a super disturbing game when it wants to be. Yeah, there are some really horrendous ideas going on uh-huh. in that yeah. game. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think that this is when Final Fantasy, which had always sort of towed the line between fantasy and sci-fi, went full sci-fi. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I played this, I, I reviewed it on the Switch last year, earlier this year, I think. And um, it when, I, when it came out, oh, man, I actually had a copy of Final Fantasy VII before I got a PlayStation, and I just, like, sat there and, like, read through the instruction manual, and then I played it. Like, I, I, I sobbed when, you know, a, a character dies. I'm not sure if we can spoil that here, but... Um, oh. it, it, I mean, I, I, it just blew my mind, but now... Um, it's, still really, it's still a really good game. It's, it's an excellent game, but the translation yeah. is really rough. Um, <laughs> yeah. like really, really rough, to the point to where the game only vaguely makes sense, just like if you're looking at it more carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's part of what holds it back for me. Um, the materia system... It, it is is cool in concept, but like, none of the characters have any sort of anything that's unique about them. I feel like they sort of other took than, the ideas yeah, that worked than, really well. Other in than six. limit breaks, yeah, right. Yeah, the right. ideas that worked well in six, and they stripped some of that out and like sort of simplified it, it for this. So I don't think that works as well. But yeah, you're right. The characters are great. Um, the, the whole concept of this cool, like that moment that you first come out of Midgar is still iconic. Um, so many amazing cutscenes that are really cinematic, um, even in ways the games now don't do. I mean, the, I think it's a great game, but... The music's incredible. Like, I, I remember yeah. being completely blown away by the soundtrack as, as a kid. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, especially yeah. since the... Oh, there yeah, was, it's still really good. Yeah. There was a lot more rock and roll flavor in FF7 mm-hmm. than in previous Final Fantasy games, or previous RPGs even. But, um... You're right, Zach, that characters feel less unique since Materia dominates most of the skill sets in the game, but that just makes me weirdly more excited for the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, I agree. I agree. Because right, um, yeah. they will feel unique in that situation. They completely feel unique. The, um, yeah. the, the characters' basic attacks... Uh, I mean, I only got to control Cloud and Barrett when I played the demo, mm-hmm. yeah, but they, they feel completely different but, because when they, when they do their big hitting attacks, it's half spells from Materia and half attacks that used to be limit breaks or are similar to limit breaks. And so, so based, both between major turns and during major turns, they feel like completely different characters, which is not the case when you're wa- watching the, uh, the active time meter go up waiting to take your turn in, uh, in 1997 or later. But... Final Fantasy Seven, I, I think it has diminished with uh, with time because parts of it have not aged great, and its fan base has been uh, not the not the friendliest bunch um, over the past twenty years. But oh, yeah, yeah, but it's I mean it's still excellent, and I I, I don't think I've I've replayed Final Fantasy Seven in at least fifteen years. But I'm uh, there's a reason so many people are excited for that remake. This is a special game to a lot of people. Yeah, it was one of the few PS1s that I played multiple times. 
one of my close friends plays Final Fantasy VII every year, and I think he's a crazy. I think he's a crazy wow. person. I think he's a crazy person, and the one of the years that he forgot to or or wasn't able to, he even complained to me for a long time about uh, about him not being able to do to do so. Uh, I mean, if you're gonna play it again, get the PS4, the Switch version. That speed up function is yeah. huge. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. So yeah, Final Fantasy VII. There's a lot of ways to uh, play that game nowadays, and pretty soon we'll have a brand new way to play it when the remake comes out in the spring of 2020. But for now, it is number six on Retro Encounters' best PlayStation RPGs list. So let's move on to the top five. We're halfway done, and uh, finishing number five is something that'll sound a little familiar: Lunar 2 Eternal Blue Complete for the PlayStation. <laughs> now, I have something to confess. Um. I think that Lunar 2 fixes all the problems of Lunar 1, and I put Lunar 2 very high on my list and Lunar 2, 1 off my list, which is the reason that there's such a jump in between Lunar 1 and Lunar 2 in for our top shame. 10. What do you mean for shame? This game, this game actually <laughs> this game has an extremely... I liked Eternal Blue more, oh, I love actually. It. I mean, it's, no, it's, I, it's, I think it's, it's number three on my list. I, I, I love it. Yeah, uh, these are uh, Lunar was two thirds of Zach's top three, and uh, and I and I also put Lunar two in my I also put Lunar two in my top three because I think it um, it has that same adventurous spirit and innocent spirit that Lunar one had, but it is just so much better gameplay wise. Uh, they give you the characters are sort of more powerful and have more options and more uh, diversity in their move sets. And uh, the epilogue is one of the best RPG epilogues in all, of all time. Where in the first great one, yeah, in, where sure. in, in Lunar One, you're basically just sort of in a, on a one-way tunnel to the end boss. And uh, the characters in Lunar t- in Lunar Two, I would put. Uh, I love the arc. I, I loved the arcs of Leo, Jean, and Ronfar so much. I think I, I prefer any of those three to any character in Lunar One. Even yeah. even even though I, I'll still I, take Jessica. All I, day. Okay, I love Jessica and Kyle dearly. I really do. Yeah. But um, but uh, I I think that like Jean, Ark, and Leo have clear arcs and really different, diverse mm. skill sets. While uh, Jessica basically just just heals and whacks with it with a mace. <laughs> and even even though I think that um, Lucy Lucia is one of the less interesting, uh, Lunar characters. Um, Lunar Two has a. A sort of a more complete, uh, a more complete story and um, more well-rounded main characters, and just is a more satisfying quest. I think Lunar Two is awesome, and Lunar One is very good, but not awesome like Lunar Two, which is why Lunar Two uh, finished higher than Lunar One. That that I am one hundred percent responsible for it. Yeah, I mean, I, lo- I love Lunar Two. Obviously, it's num- it's number three for me. I, I think that it, it doesn't have quite uh, as it doesn't feel quite as optimistic. I don't like the character interactions quite as much in Lunar 2. I mean, they're still amazing. Um, I, I think that shoehorning in the villain from the first one into the second one is a little bit weird, too. Yeah. Um, so I, I have some weird issues with it here and there, but, I mean, also otherwise... Shoe, also, shoehorning, also shoehorning one of the major... Uh... One of the major good guy characters from Lunar One into Lunar Two, even though the games are separated by over a thousand years, was also surprising. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I kind I kind of like that he's there, though. I mean, it's that's fun. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like I, that I, scene when he reminisces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but no, the the epilogue alone is enough to to put it up there for me. Um, and I actually, I, I might the Sega CD version is almost as good as this one if it wasn't for the magic point system where you're like oh, you have yeah. to literally use a currency to save things. Mm-hmm. But there are actually some things about the Sega CD one that I like better. Um, but this is still the best way to play this game. 
Yeah, I think the grind is uh, about the same level of intensity as Lunar 1. Yeah, this this version is actually... Lunar 2 for the PlayStation is actually harder than the one for the Sega CD. There's yeah. one fight on the Sega CD that is, like, very difficult. But other than that, it's not too bad. This one is actually more grind-heavy. Yeah, I think that Lunar 2's grind is um interesting. It's a little different from Lunar 1's. Once you have a full party of five characters, it gets better. I think they ratcheted up the challenge for a lot of bosses, but also ratcheted up how powerful your party is, which mm-hmm. makes it, which which makes the game a little bit more challenging, uh, still a bit of a grind, but but really satisfying. And just uh, I, I think, for, especially from a game design standpoint, it's, uh, Lunar Two is superior to Lunar One, and really one of the best PlayStation RPGs. L- Lunar Two is excellent, and it makes me a little bummed out that Lunar One was the one that got remade twice and not and not its sequel. Yeah, I wish Eternal Blue had. <laughs> Some PSP love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I... Luna Two had some Europe love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I would play Luna. I would play probably. <sighs> I know Rob Fenner is not a fan of the PSP version of Lunar, but if both mm-hmm. of them had come to PSP, I would have played both of them or bought both of them. It's just that I don't want to. I don't want to play one without the other. Is that the sensible thing? Would, to would do, you be able? You, I, you you can play Silver Star Story without playing Eternal Blue. I mean, they're oh, yeah, they're yeah. related. They're a thousand years apart, but okay. um, the stories definitely oh, stand on okay. their own. They stand on their own, oh, absolutely. Right, okay. Yeah, and uh, okay. Alana, would you have a way to play a North American copy? Like maybe you would have to use a PC or something. Oh, I can probably find a way of doing it. Yeah, right, I okay. could just buy a USPS one. They're cheap enough, aren't they? Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Those those aren't hard to find. But uh, but Lunar one yeah. and two are a little hard to find. In fact, uh, Zach, when you mentioned that you uh, you you traded in a, a, a it wasn't a, this. It, it was it wasn't Lunar one or two. It's something later. I still oh, got okay. these. I still got these copies full box complete. I bought them both brand new. Oh so. wow. Okay. Yeah. I have I, Eternal uh, Blue still. They're like one of my prized possessions. So I own both. <laughs> I own both of them, but I only have the full box complete stuff for the first game. I I I definitely got both Lunar one and two when I was uh, when I was you know eBay and Amazon hunting in the mid two thousands. I and uh, and but for both Lunar one and two. I played them twice each. Uh, once when I first got them in the mid two thousands, and once for the po- each for the podcast in twenty eighteen. And uh, but fortunately, I felt like they held up. I really, really love both of the Lunar games, especially Lunar Two, because of the gameplay ch- uh, design changes it makes. But uh, that's enough about Lunar Two. It finished fifth in our list. So moving on to number four. Uh, spoiler alert: There's a lot of square of square in our top four. But I won't say exactly how much, what, or where until the time comes. Um, finishing fourth on Retro Encounters' list of the top ten PlayStation RPGs is Xenogears. Now, I have, I have a confession to make. And um, I, I, th- I think for after I had an argument with Caitlin about this, she stopped talking to me for a few weeks. Um, I, think, I, think Xen- I think Xenogears is unfinished. It's, it's a really excellent RPG for most of its run. But you can see the point where they ran out of uh, where they ran out of budget and started uh, telling you the story instead of showing you, and took way too much control out of the players out of the players' I hands. I see that. And I and for that reason, I I didn't finish Xenogears. I got to one of the final dungeons, but got lost because it was an all mecha dungeon. And I said, "Well, screw this. I don't I don't want to play this thing anymore." Uh, and this was this was decades ago, uh, uh, probably right around 2000 when I first got a PlayStation. But yeah. I think well, this. I, mean, I think this game is wrong. I think this game is awesome for like sixty percent of the run, and and I was and I was completely transfixed. But then it uh, it it, it sort of um, it runs out of steam in that second disc, and I stopped playing it. But uh, that doesn't diminish any any of the good parts about this game. The uh, the the, the characters are great. The storyline and lore are breathtaking and sometimes completely yeah. insane. 
and, and uh, the action um, isn't always great, but uh, it's pretty satisfying when you're chaining martial arts moves together or seeing or, or doing giant mm-hmm. huge attacks with your mecha. There's there Xenogears is great. I, I just have weird personal qualms about it, and I, so it didn't even appear on my rankings. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually don't mind the second disc because the game is still like 65, 70 hours long, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, no, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah, 65 is about right. Yeah, and so like for me, and I've only played this game once and I played it you know, almost 20 years ago now, but um, it, for me, when I got to that point, I was actually okay with it because the thing that I loved about that game was the story. Um, it wasn't necessarily the jumping and falling constantly in those dungeons. <laughs> Um, I, I love the story. I thought the combat was a little bit slow at times. Um, so for me, like I didn't have a problem with them just visual noveling it up. Um, like I, I was like, okay, just get just give me the good right. stuff. I like visual novels, so it wasn't too big a deal for me. I, I like I like visual novels too. I just didn't like an RPG turning into a visual novel, <laughs> especially since the uh, second half of the game is like probably seventy thirty mecha combat to combat on foot. Well, yeah, because they strip out a lot of the exploration, don't they? So you've only got like three dungeons, and most of the cutscenes act as transitions between those dungeons. Mm-hmm. And all the dungeons on disc two are awful. One of them's got a, like a game-breaking glitch in it where you can't progress anymore. And not game-breaking, like it uh, yeah. stops you from progressing. I don't remember and the final dungeon. Um, I don't remember exactly which dungeon got me to stop playing. I'm not sure if I ran into that game-breaking glitch you mentioned, but it was definitely one of the last two or three dungeons. That was almost all in your mech suit, and I just got frustrated and quit. Uh, I definitely have that save sitting around, so I, I could pick it up from there uh, if I wanted to. I think I would start from the beginning if I were to replay Xenogears. And, and I know why it's uh, so special to a lot of people. It's, um, it's probably Masato Kato's best script, with, with apologies to Chrono Trigger and mm-hmm. Chrono Cross. The story is weird and awesome. Like... It, like for you for no reason you start sailing with a sea walrus around the middle of the game <laughs> and and one of the most not and, and one of the most non-threatening characters from the first half of the game turns into a cyborg monster in the second half oh, of the game Jesus. with, with yeah. like, like, like avoiding spoilers this these are insane developments and uh and the game has a really really solid character driven story uh I, I think Faye and Ellie probably need multiple psychiatrists each to work through the problems, <laughs> the, the yeah. problems that they I mean, go everybody through. Everybody does, mm, yeah. except Seton, right? who seems to know more than everyone, and is and no Seton is the worst one. Like well, a, <laughs> ellipses, Jesus. <laughs> I, I still don't know why they gave the best physical character a sword in the second half just to make him even stronger. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I yeah. do remember he was busted in that game. Speaking of characters with swords becoming overpowered late in the game, uh, number three on our list is Final Fantasy Tactics. Now, uh, full disclosure here, um, this is the first time a number one game has, appe- has appeared yet. This was my number one pick. This is my favorite PlayStation game. It's what introduced me to uh, to strategy RPGs, or I should say Japanese RPGs that employ squares or hexes in this way. <laughs> And uh, I was completely blown away by it. The level of customization of on your team, the extremely dramatic uh, political story, even just a ton of story and gameplay moments that I uh, that I will never ever forget. Like like, like story moments, like uh, you know, uh, certain characters turning into monsters for certain battles, deaths that happen right at the end of chapter one out of four. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Oh, and the ending. And the and the, and the ending, and also just the relationship between Ramza and Delita, which I think is really mm-hmm. special. Stunning, yeah. Yeah, it's um, uh, Del- like at the very beginning of the game, uh, a historian is saying, uh, "We all know about the legend of the hero King Delita, but hey, there was this other person." In the in the War of the Lions, named Ramza, who might have been instrumental to the um, to the outcome of the war. So let's let's learn his story. And this is a it starts out as a story of Ramza and Delita, uh, who are best friends at a military academy. Delita comes from is a commoner, and Ramza is a nobleman. And their relationship is complicated <laughs> over the course of this war. <laughs> and uh, I, I I love Ramza and Delita. I love the uh, all the Final Fantasy stuff in this, and how it's a and how it's sort of employed to a battle system much more similar to uh, much more similar to Tactics Ogre, which uh, share which shares a lot of the key staff and designers of Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, basically, Square hired the entire um, Quest team, yeah, right? Yeah the, yeah. yeah, the entire team that did Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre and assigned them to Final Fantasy Tactics. And then, then they went on to make Vagrant Story and Final Fantasy Twelve, and uh, uh, maybe some other things. I'm forgetting. Uh, definitely, they're making something for next year, if not mistaken. Oh, oh, is... oh, Unsun Story. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, shoot. That was the, that was a Kickstarter disaster. I remember reading about that. At, at least a few of the key staff are associated with that. Um, that that's the story for a whole other podcast. But. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what, what are your guys' thoughts on Final Fantasy Tactics? It's impossible for me to talk about this game without rambling for <laughs> hours and hours. I declined to appear on the yeah. on the on the Retro Encounter Final Fantasy Tactics episodes from 2015 because I was I was worried I would take over the entire podcast. <laughs> and this is I, in 2015 seems like a, feels like a thousand years ago, but th- th- that's the truth of the matter. I mean, this is probably my second most replayed RPG. I mean, I the number one is later in this list, but um, I I love the the grid based uh, combat. Like similar to you, I never I didn't even know tactics games existed until I played this game. Like it never mm-hmm. even occurred to me. But it said it said Final Fantasy. I bought it. Um, it, like, it was like a no brainer for me. But yeah, the, that was me too. It still holds up so well. I mean, even on like the iOS version, uh, it, it really works. Um, I, I love the char- the characters are all really well drawn. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rams is an excellent protagonist. Um, like he seems like a real person who he really, really is struggling yeah. through things. And Delita is, if not the best anti-hero, sort of uh, he, he's one of the top two. He, he's just an incredible character. Um, there's really nothing I don't like about this game. I, I when I first started playing it years ago, I really struggled at the beginning, and I think there's a bit of a learning curve. But now, I mean, it's it just it, it comes so naturally, and it all works together so well um when we were doing zodiac system when we did the final fantasy 20th anniversary feature on rpg fan in late 2017 i wrote a piece on how many times i died in final fantasy tactics and, <laughs> oh yeah um, i think i read that, I read uh, that yeah. m- m- maybe I-, I think it was before you or audra joined yeah. sec um but uh, the the learning curve is real um the, both how to build characters and how to manipulate them on the battlefield is not easy to understand right away unless this is unless this is maybe your tenth uh, tactical JRPG and not your first. But once you get a feel for everything and you, the characters sort of become your own because you've been tinkering with them and building them over the course of a many hours long RPG, like you, you get a level of mastery that is really really satisfying. And by the end game, even when the 
um, some of the battles are quite challenging. If if you if you've really found a, a groove, you can annihilate everything. And it's yeah. it, and it, well, it's I mean, so, especially yeah. once you get Orlando. I mean, yeah, the, yeah, the or, yeah, just... Orlando. Um, one of made one of the best SIDs in Final Fantasy history. And, uh, and, and yeah, and uh, and once you get and once you get uh, Rams's most powerful skills, or build up a calculator uh, class, or or recruit Beowulf and Reyes, who are way too strong. Um, mm. th- this game is awesome, and I, uh, I I haven't played it in several years. I might be overdue for one because I I truly truly love this RPG. Uh, Alana, I know you have an aversion for RPGs with squares, even if they're made by a company called Square. Do you have any feelings at all about Final Fantasy Tactics? You're the only person that didn't vote for it. It's because I've never played it (laughs) for the exact reason you've given. Right. Um, I do own the PSP version, and I guess if I want to, because if I want to play it next year or any time in the next twelve months, what's the best way to play it? Because I know there's an argument for PSP. Um, I would, I would say, I would say iOS because I mean, because there's not the slowdown. Yeah, it's it's the same as the PSP version without the slowdown. It's a little bit, it's a little bit wonky selecting the squares and like selecting the actions though on a touch screen for me, at least for me personally. I've only, I've only PSP experience. I've only tried the iOS version on a friend's iPad. Um, I, but I, I played, I put hundreds of hours into the PS1 and PSP versions. Yeah, um, it probably will upset people to know that I haven't played it because I know how widely regarded it is among like RPG fans no. staff in particular. But like, yeah, I just like tactical RPGs kind of not terrify me, but like I don't enjoy them. I don't like the RNG. I don't like how long they are. I don't like how much building that has to go into it. Um, like, a- astounding, just... astoundingly, um, there is no, there is almost no RNG in Final Fantasy Tactics. Really? Um, I mean, there's some percentages for, for, when you're for attacking. Hit, for hitting and missing, yeah. and that's about it. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, but, um, but final, like, Fire Emblem lives and dies by the RPG, by the RNG, because, yeah. because it governs even how much, how many points, uh, how many stat points a character will gain on a level up. In Final Fantasy Tactics, for hitting and missing, there is an RNG, but the percentages are very set and manipulatable by the player. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you can calculate exactly how much damage will be done with any attack, and, but but it will have a percent chance to hit or miss. Um, Fair enough. That's okay. So That's so it's normal. it's it's not quite as dominated by RNG as Fire Emblem, which again I had to read RNG guides about Fire Emblem when I was playing some of the game some of the Game Boy Advance ones uh, years ago. They scarred me a bit those yeah. ones. Yeah. But, but Final Fantasy yeah, Tactics, no, would... it's it, it, it's so good it, it's what got me interested in tactical art jrpgs and and not what turned me off of them <laughs> <laughs> no i do totally want to play it it's right up there it's just i need to i need to get over it i think maybe i should get over xenogears and fire up that thing again yeah but your reasoning is kind of understandable i think i do think that second plus i was i was a i was an easily i was an irritable teenager when that happened and now i'm i'm a considerably Equally ir- irritable adult, I guess. Hey, Lana, if it makes you feel any better, I don't love tactical RPGs, but I love, love, love this one. So I, I think it's worth a shot. Oh, th- this was my gateway drug into getting really way too into Fire Emblem in the 2000s and uh, putting hundreds of hours into Disgaea games. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, Final Fantasy Tactics can be all tactical RPGs to all people, <laughs> whether it's whether it, it ends your trend for them makes you want to avoid it or is you know gets you to play all of them uh that was awkward but anyway final fantasy tactics third on our list of top 10 
uh, RPGs for the PlayStation 1. And now we're moving into the top two. Here, Alana, here's a game that I'm pretty sure you've played, <laughs> unlike, unlike okay. Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, Final Fantasy IX. Yeah. That was, number one, one that was number one on your list, so I assume you've it played was. it. Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> is my favorite PS1 RPG. Maybe tied with Xenogears for different reasons, but Final Fantasy IX, at the time... We've got a special episode dedicated to it. Um, we, uh, Steph, I, and Keegan were on an episode together celebrating everything Final Fantasy IX back mm-hmm. in 2017. And, like, at the time it came out, like, Final Fantasy VII was the pinnacle. Like, it was, this is what all RPGs should be like. Final Fantasy VIII went completely sci-fi, alien, weird, and everyone was really turned off. Then Final Fantasy IX kind of went right back to that steampunk fantasy style. And it looked much cuter on the outside so a lot of people were very put off by it um it was one of the first rpgs i played so maybe that's where the bias comes from just don't have any issues with this game hardly at all like i think it charms the pants off of me every time i I pick it up yeah it's just so sweet and so endearing but it's also so serious like if you start digging into final fantasy 9 it's probably one of the darkest stories in the oh, series. Oh, yeah, geez. Of- Vivi has a crisis of identity, and uh, Freya yeah. has an incredibly tragic backstory with her husband and her kingdom. Um, Aiko, mm-hmm. when you realize just how lonely Aiko's been her whole life when you when you finally meet her, is just heartbreaking. Final Fantasy IX does, delivers on the drama, even though it's it, it, it feels less... I don't know, less angst-ridden than FF8, and less, uh, and, and maybe and less dark visually than FF7 or FF8. Um, but it brings back one thing that I loved about FF7 and and hated about FF8. I'm uh, I, I, I don't dis I don't hate FF8, but it's it's, it's considerably lower on my list than seven or nine. Um, Final Fantasy VII has f- five or six human characters, but then also Kate Sith and and Red Thirteen who don't look humanoid at all. And uh, and you could say that the silhouettes of of Barrett and Sid are considerably different than Eris or Tifa, right? right. In, fi- in Final Fantasy VIII, it's six skinny teenagers. It's like well, what yeah. the hell? The, 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 we're going back to, <laughs> to, to to only humans again, and they practically all fit in the same rectangle, like in playing a Super Nintendo Final Fantasy. But then you have uh-huh. FF nine, and none of these characters look the same. Uh, the, the only one that maybe right. the only one that maybe looks like a real human is Garnet or slash Dagger. And uh, yeah. like 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 Vivi and Steiner are completely different sizes and shapes. Uh, Kina is the is the maybe the least human looking one of them all. But it's you have the, this variety of sil- silhouettes and variety of gameplay between the cast that I just loved. Uh, uh, Zach was mentioning how the materia system sort of homogenized the cast of FF7 a little bit. Uh, the GF system in FF8 maybe did that even even more uh, drastically. Yeah. And in FF9, it's like, no, these are, these are uh, I don't remember how many characters Distinct there are. Distinct characters. Yeah, these, these are eight or nine or however many individuals. And yeah. so, so team building and character building is so satisfying in FF9. And the story is just fantastic. Yeah, they've all got locked jobs. Um, so they are all inspired by previous jobs in previous games mm-hmm. and yep. really the only two characters who are interchangeable are Aiko or Dagger and Dagger because they're both white mages one is slightly better at summoning and white ma- magic and the other is better at healing so that is the mm-hmm. only real difference between them so it's down to personal preference really and it, what is trance that's it. yeah well I mean um, uh, Dagger and Aiko are the different two are, are the two most similar characters but they also have they also have different selections of white magic and summons so it's, it's not it's not and and Correct. uh 
one mental, I don't know if it's a mental block or not, but when I'm playing a Final Fantasy game, I almost have a fixation. Oh, I have to bring a healer because you absolutely need like um, rays or uh, or a quick cure all in in when situations get really hairy. So if there was only one white mage in FF9, I might try to have that white mage in my party at all times. So giving us a second white mage might have, I think, actually was maybe a good idea. Um, <laughs> but the but you're right that these are basically all just really wild interpretations of um, of classic Final Fantasy jobs. And if FF14 is any indication, I really like it when they interpret classic Final Fantasy jobs in, in cool directions. But, but because of the character diversity and how dramatic the story is and how good the game design and systems are, I, I think this is um, one of the best Final Fantasy games full stop and, and really one of the signature RPGs on the PlayStation. Uh, Zach, you've been a little quiet. You're, are you an FF9 fan? I like it. It's just been a very long time since I've played it, so I can't. <laughs> comment on it with any sort of authority i mean i think i played it i was i was super excited when it came out i played it i don't know in like a week and then that's the last time i played it so i don't remember it super well but i do remember liking it a lot oh i, I don't know if i mentioned this on podcasts before uh this was the first playstation game i bought um oh, fi- wow. yeah, final fantasy 4 was my first rpg but it w- i thought it was called final fantasy 2 at the time and uh I, I borrowed one of my, my my friend that plays Final Fantasy VII every year. I borrowed his PlayStation to play Final Fantasy VII uh, decades ago, and um and, and I and I would play PlayStation games at his house. But I didn't get a PlayStation until 2000, and so when I got my PlayStation, my first PlayStation, or well, my only PlayStation, I didn't I didn't go through Playstations like they were you know uh like they were clean or, or anything, um, but uh, I'm I'm like man, Final Fantasy IX came out pretty recently it was out for less than a year when i got my play, my ps1 and uh and none of my friends have played it i don't know a lot about it cuz cuz this was this was right when i was starting to get on the internet so i, I wasn't re- researching things exhaustive, exhaustively like i am want to sometimes i i went into final fantasy 9 almost co- completely cold uh and played through it basically entirely alone but it it was my first playstation experience on my own machine and it's uh I, I, I love it. I, I've beaten the game three times because I beat it once right when I got it, once a couple of years later when I wanted to replay it, and then I did a very, very careful uh, Excalibur 2 run um, w- with help of a guy. <laughs> um, uh, it, it, when I was, oh shoot, that was probably around 10 years ago. So I, I, I've played this game three times and I know it very well, but I it's probably the Final Fantasy game I'm closest to replaying because I really have positive nostalgia for it. I'm, I... Uh, FF9 is so good. Yep, sitting yeah. on my Switch, I will definitely give it a whirl again sometime soon. I've thought about getting it for Switch or PS4 or Steam, but I never pulled the trigger on it because there's always other games I'm playing. But it, yeah. th- that that will happen before too long, I think. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> so, I think if my math is right, we have one game left in our list of ten. And listeners, if you've been... Uh, if you're observant, <laughs> you probably know what this game is. Um, number one on the on RPG fans retro encounters list of the top ten PlayStation RPGs is the one game that appeared in the top three voting lists of all four of us, and uh, the one game that we've recorded podcast episodes on in the past fourteen months. That was <laughs> that was a really specific uh, <laughs> condition. It's Suikoden Two. Um, I did not. I did not play Suikoden Two until 2018. I knew it by reputation. I knew a little bit about what Suikoden was, 
and it completely floored me. Suikoden 2 is awesome. Uh, but, oh, so good. Uh, Zach, uh, I think you're of the opinion it's the greatest RPG of all time. So, I uh, am. Are, are, you already, are you ready to pop off on Suikoden 2 oh. a little bit? I mean, I don't. Uh, oh, yes, I think uh, <laughs> there's so many things to say. I mean, I, I think that it takes everything I said I like about Suikoden in one um, and improves upon them. That the character dynamic between Ryu, Joey, and Nanami, Nanami is just incredible. Uh, best sibling relationship in all of RPGs. Um, you know, I was talking about best anti-hero earlier with Delita. If it's not Delita, it's Joey. I think Joey. Awesome. I think Joey and Delita are. Jeez. Are, yeah. They're they're very comparable, but not yeah. not in a I don't mean that in a reductive way. I mean they're no. both they're both awesome and have similar roles, mm-hmm. but uh I don't mean I don't I'm not trying to make a profound point other than both of them are amazing. <laughs> no, I agree. Um and you know the they do an amazing job of weaving in so many different characters from Sweet in One. Like Flick and Victor being two major characters again was like super delightful for me when I played it all those years ago. And they're still great characters. Um, and it has, you know, arguably the greatest JRPG villain of all time in Luca Blight, um, who is so despicable that um, he, in any other JRPG, he would be the thing that defines the game. But I, I think that because the rest of the game is so strong and the other characters are so amazing, um, the combat is so fluid that he is not even the thing I think think of first one. I think it's weekend in two. I, I, I had heard so much about Luca Blight that I assumed he, he was the the main villain of the game and maybe even dominated the game. But yeah. uh but uh but when I played it's like wait a second, Luca Blight he he stops being a factor around the sixty percent mark. What's going right. on here? It, it, there, there's a lot more to this game than Luca Blight, but he yeah. is still awesome. I mean if I if I could make one criticism of the game, it's that the um the this this the tactical battles aren't amazing. Um, I think they're okay. They're better than Suikoden One for sure. I, I, um, I wish they would just replace them with cutscenes. Yeah, I, I don't. Dis- yeah. I don't disagree with you. I, although I still sort of enjoy them. They're they're much better, and they take a similar uh, stance in Suikoden Five, and it's, it's better there. But it's just. I've played this game at least 20 times, and I'll continue to play it. It's it's just so good. But it's also the game that I traded in um, because it had a scratch on it. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> I was very sad about that. You had but to, I also got a lot of money to, out of it. You have the perfect copy. <laughs> yep. Mm. Oh, I never owned this game on PlayStation. I only played it on a, I, I played it on my PS Vita when it got a digital release. Uh, I think the digital release came out in 2016 or 2017, but I didn't play it until 2018, which is well documented on this podcast. But uh, I, I was so impressed, top to bottom, in, and uh, and I, and I was I was maybe prepared to be a little bit contrarian about this. Is like, huh, this game is so famous, everyone thinks it's so good. What if it sucks? I'll find out. And no, it turns out it's great. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I went from Final Fantasy VII to Suikoden and Two, and never looked back. RPGs that, 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 that is a stellar start. Yeah, that, that's a pretty <laughs> right, good yeah. one-two combo. Um, yeah. But uh, Alana, you also played Suikoden 2 for the first time around the same time I did. And, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we both thought it was great. Was there something that jumped out about it that uh, we haven't brought up yet? Well, other than Necklord. Um, oh, <laughs> um, always Necklord. Yeah. <laughs> Best boss theme. It's a really good boss really? theme. Really? Easily, yeah. Um, I don't know. I just think Zach's hit it all. Like I went in expecting this whole thing about the, you know the conqueror Luca Blight doing everything, and no, actually, it was the central three characters of Rio and Nanami and Joey. Like I was completely gripped from start to finish on their relationship. The minute Joey betrays the group, uh, spoilers. Yeah. Um, I was completely stunned. Like how have I not heard? Like 
pretty easy to find spoilers for 20 year old RPGs. How mm. had I not heard this? How had I not discovered any of this? And I just had to keep knowing what happened and yeah. I couldn't put it down. And I, it's just testament really like, even with the dodgy translation, like Swicked and Two's translation, it's really rough, like a few other games in this list. But I just think that it nails, it nails war and it nails the people like, it nails mm -hmm. the feeling of all the people in it, not just the people who fight, but the people who are living through it. Like, it deals with it all so well. And I played, like, Final Fantasy XII and other games that focus, like, central around war and politics. But I don't think any game has come close to nailing that feel of urgency and what do we do? Like, how do we deal with the threat and the idea that you progress more and more? Um, like, mm -hmm. it's, it's ridiculous. Also, I should mention because this i feel like this is my brand you get to recruit an entire castle of people yeah like, this is yeah. incredible i love the castle system and how it like evolves swicken and ones was a bit basic but you just got some, like more shops more upgrades things like that this one you get like you can go into a cooking mini game you can grow plants you can there's other things i can't you can really recruit five squirrels plants. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. They don't do anything though. And you can recruit. They're they're, they're okay That's attackers. They're okay attackers for like the first third of the game. I had one of the squirrels on my team for an embarrassingly long time actually. Uh the, he was I had a squirrel in the 18 man battle against Luca Blight in fact. <laughs> but uh but this game gives you so many options and when the game opens up somewhat after you after you find the castle uh building that castle and filling it with uh with with recruits becomes maybe the main thrust of the game other than the the other than the main story path and it is so satisfying i uh like like building towns or building up a village is is a really satisfying side quest in several rpgs like i, I specifically remember breath of fire 2 being the first time i really did one of those in detail right. yeah. but but suikoden takes it to another level and suikoden i don't know if suikoden 2 is a the best castle or just a good castle compared to the other Suikoden games. This is the only, this is the only one I put more than a few hours into, but it is so satisfying building up the castle town. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm not a Suikoden expert, but Audra and Zach are. So uh, <laughs> would you say that recruiting the 108 and building up your castle is a signature feature of Suikoden? Oh, for sure. I mean, That's, it's, yeah. the, it's right. the most signature feature. Um, I mean, they all deal with war and politics to some degree, but mm -hmm. outside of that, the 108 characters thing, I think I, I, if, so, if you made a Suikoden game where you didn't have 108 characters, I'm pretty sure it people would It would not buck. be a Suikoden <laughs> no, game, really. Yeah. No, the, the fan base would revolt, for sure. Yeah. But uh, we did not revolt against Suikoden 2 in this podcast. I, like I said, it was in the top three of all of us. Uh, so it, it, when, I, when, you ca when I calculated the points scored by the voting at the very end, it was not close. It had a... Uh, it was more than a full forty uh, percent higher than the second than the games that finished that uh, that finished second. Um, Yay! Because because there were there was a tie yeah, there was a tie for yeah. yeah there was a tie for second at the end. But Final Fantasy Ta uh, Nine went through Final Fantasy Tactics uh, because it had more people voting it um, vo voting it higher. I think Tactics was swung a little bit by me putting it number one. But uh, so to give you a little bit of a look behind the curtain. So but Suikoden Two dominated our voting because. It, it, it was the most, con the biggest consensus on the podcast. All of us know this game is incredible and special, even within the very strong library of the PlayStation One. And yeah, that's the best. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 excellent and uh, yeah. I, and and undeniable. It's 
really interesting looking at my top 10. Like, there's only two games on this list that I've played on Retro Encounter, but they both polled in the top three. Like, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. Like, Xenogears was my kind of, oh my god, epiphany moment. And then Suikoden 2 was very similar. I would say they're the two best games I've played on Retro Encounter, as well as being 3 and 2, respectively, on my top 10. And I should mention, eight of the ten games in the top ten have had dedicated re- Retro Encounter episodes, and uh, plus two of the four honorable, honorable mentions had dedicated Retro Encounter episodes. So uh, th- this show sometimes really lives in that P- PS1 era, because it's, a, it's an era that's just strong in a vacuum for RPGs and has a lot of positive nostalgia for our for RPG fan staff and our podcast audience. Uh, when, whenever we post about a PS1 RPG, I, I think they do very well on social media. And uh, we don't have any social media staff here present right now, but I, I, I think that's... I, I don't think I'm misspeaking there. It, like, um, PS1 RPG stuff does really well for our audience. So, so it was a natural podcast subject for us. I reckon you could put four different people on this podcast and you'd have a totally different list because we've missed things like Valkyrie Profile, Star Ocean 2, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and a bunch of other games. Uh, um, also, none of also, them. Yeah, also receiving yeah. votes, uh, Parasite Eve, Breath of Fire 4, Persona 2, Innocent Sin, the, uh, the couple that Lalana mentioned, uh, Wild Arms 1 and 2, uh, Legend of Dragoon, which shouldn't be on any list of good things. <laughs> um, Beyond the Beyond? Final Fantasy with Wind People. <laughs> yeah, Final Fantasy VIII <laughs> or, um, didn't make our list. Uh, we, we could make this a top 20, and uh, the episode would be far too long, but we definitely wouldn't be lacking for conversation or discussion about it, because there are just so many good RPGs on the PlayStation, plus things like Legend of Dragoon. <laughs> now that I, now that I uh, am less inclined to make fun of Kingdom Hearts, I guess Legend of, Legend of Dragoon will be my official scapegoat game of 2020. <laughs> Someone will put it on the poll and then make me replay that thing. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see about are, that. Are you, are you committing to it right now? No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> but uh, um, I am committing to this top 10. Uh, let, let's go over the all 14 games in this top 10, which is misleading, I understand. But first we have uh, our four honorable mentions. Chrono Cross, Dragon Warrior 7, Grandia, and Legend of Lagaya in in alphabetical order, and then from ranked order from ten to fir- to one, uh, Retro Encounters top ten PlayStation RPGs, Tales of Eternia, Suikoden one, Lunar Silver Star Story Complete, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Final Fantasy seven, Lunar two Eternal Blue Complete, Xenogears, Final Fantasy Tactics, Final Fantasy nine, and Suikoden two. That is a murderer's row of yeah. 90s RPGs. Ooh, so good. Very good. I'm happy with the list. Are the, are all the rest of you happy with the list, or do we, not, yeah. do we have to yeah. you know, do another vote to try and I foist mean, Persona 2 in there somehow? Not, nine, nine of the ten games I voted for are on the list, so I can't complain. Yeah, <laughs> eight, eight, of, eight of my ten were on. Uh, it, and it's, it's similar numbers for all of us. Like the, the four of us definitely don't have the exact same tastes and preferences, but, um, but there was a large overlap here. Uh, it, it wasn't, there, there wasn't a lot of hand-wringing or arguing over the, over the list, which I am satisfied with overall. Yeah. 
But uh, I think that's about the end of the episode. Uh, thank you, listeners, so much for listening to our thoughts on PlayStation One RPGs. Uh, again, we could we could probably run the same podcast with uh, four different panelists, and the answer and the it would be just as good as the discussion because of the subject material being so strong and so appealing to so many people. But uh, for the rest of the month of Retro Encounter. Um, we do have it basically lined up. Uh, next episode, we're doing a very special episode about the recent Cthulhu Saves Christmas with uh, accompanied by some of the staff of Z-Boy Games. So for the first time in Retro Encounter history, we are going to have a special guest star d- talking about a game they worked on. So we're really, we're really, cool. ex- we're really excited to record that. We're, we're recording it in just a few days, so I don't, I don't know how it's gone yet, but I'm, I'm hopeful. And uh, following uh, that, we are doing an episode on AI the Somnium Files, a, uh, probably my favorite overall story in 2019. Just, just like Dragon Quest XI last year, I want to do a spoiler cast on it because I'm just so desperate to talk to people about this game. And, and Alana can vouch for that because how, ner- how many excited messages did I send you um, while we were both playing this? How many? Yeah, it was ridiculous. So like, many. I, I was out of control. Yeah. Me too. Don't worry. But but when you when you get to the end game of AI, the Somnium Files, you'll understand the feelings I was feeling because that is an excellent game, and we're going to talk all about its story yeah, uh, in, it. in a few weeks. It's it's worth yeah. it, Zach. If you can yeah. if you can if you can track it down at a reasonable price, it's. Oh, I've, uh, I've got a copy sitting on my shelf, and oh. I just played the Nonary games in the oh. last oh. year. So oh. I mean, I, oh. what are you oh. doing, bro? Come on. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Reviewing uh, games, I don't know, playing Sweet in Five. <laughs> well, tell well tell me uh, when you finish that because I definitely have some questions about the Cyclops Killer and the old Cyclops Killer and our favorite invisible robot friend. Um, uh, AI the Somnium Files is great. We're having an episode all about it in a few weeks, but also in January, uh, more specific to what this podcast is about, we're having two episodes on Sweet in Five. Woo-hoo. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. I know um, that game won a poll that we held during, uh, sorry, just after Retro Encounter episode 200. So um, those episodes are finally coming in January 2020. And uh, Zach, I know you're looking forward to talking about that one. I am. I'm replaying it right now. It holds up. It's really good. It's oh, not sweet in two, but it's close, actually. It really is. Excellent. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's early enough to talk about this, or I should say late enough to talk about this. I, it's the right time to talk about this. Um, in February, we are doing two episodes on Near Automata, which is a uh, one of the oh. less retro retro encounter games we've played because that game only came out in 2017. But it's so good, though, like yeah. already three years old almost. Yeah. yeah, but it's that game has a lot of dedicated fans. I am one of them, <laughs> and um, I have not played it yet. I started playing it. Uh, as of this podcast, I think I'm um, just a few days earlier, so I'm really looking forward to how that goes. Uh, mostly, though, I just need to have better context for the near raids in Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's the real no. reason to play this game, of course. Trust me, it's worth it. Okay. So good. I'll take your word for it, but I uh, I have not actually started it yet. But uh, listeners, you can look forward to two episodes on Near Automata in February 2020. So that's enough for what we have going um, coming up in Retro Encounter. How about some other podcasts? RPG Fan is host to four podcasts, including the one you're listening to right now. They also have Random Encounter, which is about current events and randomness. Uh, R- Rhythm Encounter, which is about RPG music, but has not had an episode in quite some time. And also Phoenix Edge, which is a p- podcast mostly about current events that is hosted live on YouTube every week. Please check out all four of those. 
Retro, Random, uh, Rhythm, and Phoenix, and leave reviews on however you are listening to these podcasts. We appreciate all of the feedback you can provide. And uh, you can also visit RPG Fan for all kinds of other things. We, we have a Facebook page, a Twitter page, a Discord server, an Instagram page, um, something streaming on twitch.tv every single day. So, And you can find links to all of those things on RPGFan.com. And uh, you can also reach out to the hosts that you hear on Retro Encounter individually. So what's the best way for listeners to get in contact with you, starting with Audra? Oh, um, Audra B at RPGFan.com. Email. All right. And Alana? Twitter is the best place. I am at Alana Higgs on there. If you do want to email me, though, I am Alana H at RPGFan.com. And Zach? Uh, the best way to reach me is probably by email. It's ZachW at RPGFan.com. You can also reach me on Discord at ZachW. And then there's me, who's on all the social media. Probably too much social... Definitely too much social media. You can find me on Twitter at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times. I am Monsoon Mike on RPG Fan's Discord, and my RPG Fan email is Solosi at RPGFan.com. Oh... You know what? I, I think we're just going to throw this out. Let's do 10 new PlayStation games. <laughs> you, you, you guys free for another two hours? Uh, all right. Let's do so, it. Got it. Okay. Number one, Final Fantasy Tactics. And number two, <laughs> thank you, good night, and good luck. Thank mm-hmm. you.